Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about why you don't want an IT project, but instead a business change project, and Greg Mater is going to tell us exactly why. Now, Greg started helping in his family business in the third grade, and he got the bug to help other businesses grow by applying useful technology to solve complex business problems. His company, Open Source Integrators, specializes in building business management systems for manufacturing, field service management, and distribution companies. Gregory, it's great to have you on the show, sir. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Now, you give us a quick list of your company's client base, but who specifically do you serve? It's a great question. Over the years, we've built a business serving other entrepreneurial companies. Some of them happen to be startups, often in manufacturing or new products. Some of them have been established. Our oldest customer is actually a 300-year-old family-owned business in North Carolina. 300 family-owned businesses in Europe are common, but having them in the U.S. is really tough. So congratulations on that one. I they love are. those kind of family businesses. Yeah, it's an amazing story. But yeah, thanks, thanks, Bill. Maybe after we finish, or, or maybe because one of my questions might uh, allow you to talk about that story. These people share problems, certain problems that you're able to solve, Greg. And what are those problems shared by this constituency of yours? It's a great question. What we see is we see companies that are looking for growth and being held back by having five or six or eight or 12 different IT systems that may or may not talk to each other. And what they're really trying to do is they're trying to, they need a system that gives them one clear, true picture of what's going on. And with that helps them make those decisions. What I if I can expand on that for a second, uh -huh. there's often this feeling of, for us business owners, and I'm guessing you had your version of this, Bill, but when you wake up in the morning, there's four or five big questions every day that you're trying to answer. And based on the answers for that, you know what you need to do. It might be like, do I need to order more inventory? What were sales yesterday? Did my shipments go out on time? And having the four to 12 to 20 discombobulated systems often means that those are very hard questions to answer. So maybe you could walk us through a case study or an example of how you go about solving these problems. And uh, then our listeners will get a handle on just what it is that you're talking about. Sure. I, I always like to not use jargon, um, but I, the, kinds of systems we implement are called enterprise resource planning systems or ERP systems. And to give an example of this, I will talk about my grandparents' business in North Dakota when I was a kid, a company called Audio Systems in Bismarck. And they were a manufacturer for some audio electronics as well as installed other people's. So on a daily basis, there'd be these questions of, do we have enough speakers? Do we have enough transformers? Do I have the right amplifier here? 
And I, as a third or fourth grader, or even a high schooler, had to run upstairs, look around in a rather dusty warehouse, and open a box and make sure that it had enough speakers and make sure that it wasn't allocated for a different job. And ultimately, I'd have to mark it down on a clipboard and take the clipboard up to the front and we'd figure out, did we have enough of this gear or that gear? And then for shipments or installations, it'd be the same thing of, okay, I think I reserved the right amount of gear and that it's ready to ship and that we have the right technicians scheduled to be able to go there and install this gear. And ultimately, there are always small things that were out of whack. Might not have the right pieces or parts, might have to reconfigure something. We set up these transformers for a different line voltage and we need to cut the wires and re-splice them and do this differently. Ultimately, we'd get all that delivered, we would get paid, people would get their paychecks and be happy, but it was more of a headache than you can imagine. That still exists. With our customers, they range from fairly small. The 300-year-old family-owned business in North Carolina is fairly small, on up to Fortune 100 sorts of companies, including a former employer of yours, if I'm reading your bio correctly, that might make technology gear. Yeah, we've replaced two manufacturing systems for that company, and they're fantastic, and I love working with them. But it's the same sort of problems of, do I have the right people and parts in the right place to be able to make this happen? ERP systems take away these headaches because you have one unified system that answers all these questions. You can think of it as a real-time accounting system that ultimately helps people make decisions about operations and inventory and forecasting. It ties in with their CRM system and sales automation system so that you can even extend that forecast out into the future fairly accurately if you do it right. I'm imagining that you have got a plethora of competitors out there, Greg. So tell us how you differentiate yourself from all that competition. That's a great question. Yeah, I do have competitors. I admire some of them and try to learn from them, actually. On the kind of much bigger than us end, you do end up with companies like Accenture or BDO or other implementation companies that build these sort of systems and implement them effectively. On the lower end, there are companies offshore that market themselves primarily through spamming business owners, probably like a lot of your listeners, and saying, hey, we'll offer IT services to you for very low rates. How do we position ourselves is, I think we're small enough to care, we're US-based, and we're big enough to be able to tackle very difficult problems. The fact we're US-based means that there's somebody in your time zone that can pick up the phone, answer questions, show up at your location and help you work through some of these challenges at a cost and price point that's still much better than a bigger system integrator. We specialize specifically in this small to medium business area where our biggest customers are generally several hundred or several thousand sorts of users, but our smallest customers are still where we know everybody's name. That makes great sense. 
I can see it because I understand that space pretty much. And so I, I can see how you position yourselves. It's great. Congratulations. So tell us about how you built your business. How, how did you come up with the idea, if you will? Maybe it was in the fourth grade. I'm wondering, was it exactly? <laughs> did you have the open source integrators in your mind? Maybe not. So walk us through sort of the uh, milestones. What I, I think our listeners would love to hear is some of the major successes uh, Greg, that you had along the way and some of the colossal failures that you may have had and then what you learned from all that stuff as you uh, went along the journey, if you will. Sure. That's a great question. I had served in the military for 21 years and the part of the military I was in, I got exposed to some of these modern technologies that allowed people to have more awareness of what was going on and track important things like the status of your soldiers and make sure that you're taking the best care of them. They have food, water, shelter, the tools that they need to be effective. And I went to work for a big software company in California where I managed a large part of their professional services organization. And I took these different ideas together. And in 2009, I realized how much I really wanted to help people like my family and help other families be successful. And it was in that moment that, strangely enough, an old boss of mine uh, called me up and said, Greg, have you ever heard of this thing called ERP before? And it was the right message at the right time from a trusted friend. And it helped me understand that while I hadn't, the uh, technologies I've been working in previously weren't called ERPs. In fact, that's the kind of work I'd been doing. I spent 2009, 2010, and most of 2011 researching it, becoming a capable professional in this. And in early 2012 is when we launched the company. We started in San Bernardino, California, realized pretty quickly that we still had room to grow and develop and colossal failures were plenty at our beginning since you asked about that. But I think it was, we also had a lot of successes early on too. Some of our customers, I'm, I'm really particularly proud of our work, would be Astra Space, the rocket company, Ursa Major Technology, another rocket company. They just make rocket motors. Astra Space makes whole rockets. And a company that's near and dear to my heart of Strymon, in Thousand Oaks, California, that makes the best guitar pedals in the world. And the electronics and audio background of mine allow me to at least understand the rudiments of what they do, but nicer people I've never met, and I'm really proud of their success. Um, getting to the 300-year-old family-owned business story, that is a success too. A company called Blacksmith's Depot in Candler, North Carolina, and they sell blacksmith gear but they're not huge. They're still very much about the craft and the trade. And I've learned more about blacksmithing and that you need to use a certain kind of coal or the right kind of tool. And I just get so much joy out of helping people like that be successful and build their businesses. It's made, it makes my day to know that they're able to continue their business and grow it. And I'm hoping it goes for another 150, 300 years. We'll see. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it'd be nice. Maybe you can be around for the entire next 300 years. Uh, may us all be around for that. Hopefully there's the medical technology to allow us all to do that. That'd be great. Tell us about, you've now, you're 
move from central California into these big rocket enterprises off to North Carolina. So tell us about sales and marketing. How, how do you guys go about it? it? It's a great question. And like everybody, it's a struggle. I, Bill, I started this before the interview complimenting you on your sales. I, I think you're fantastic at it Thank uh, you. or your marketing. What we've found is people want to, they know they have challenges. They're looking for partners who can help them, not just a vendor. And what they're looking for is they're looking for stories that help them see themselves a little bit. So I don't think we sell solutions as much as what we're really trying to do is we're trying to help people find their tribe or their kin. And we do a lot of case studies. We do a lot of examples to help people see themselves with a similar sort of problem. And I think that's the, the trick there. When we finally do get to sales, what we're doing is we're largely talking to people about, okay, your specific situation looks a little bit like this and try to use analogies to help size and shape that so that we can say, okay, you remind me a little bit of this other company that we were able to help and that helps us get to the same size and shape you are. And based on that, we can effectively estimate and hopefully eliminate risks too. So I think that's, I think we're pretty simple actually on our sales and marketing. Tell us about some of your key employees, team members, management. Uh, oh, who are they? What do they do? Where'd they come from? Sure. Great question. A lot of people come from a engineering or manufacturing background. When I think of Balaji Cannon, who's our CTO, who's been with us for almost 11 years now, right from the beginning, Balaji was originally an automotive engineer who, through a lot of career progression and going back to school and getting his MBA, is able to really help people understand. He understands the challenges a manufacturing company is gonna have, but he also understands the business imperatives and is able to bring a lot of thoughtful ideas to that. Serena Sear is one of my vice presidents and she's similar in some ways. She's got a degree in accounting and minored in manufacturer, uh, so she's got a foot in accounting as well as a foot in actual IT as well. Daryl Davis is a fantastic member of the team who came from a strong manufacturing background. Pat Kittredge ran a couple of different door and window factories. I didn't know how much goes into making an, a door that closes correctly every time you want it to, but Pat's taught me a lot about that. Um, yeah, it's, and, I'm sure you understand totally why you want to use pre-hung doors as opposed to building them inside your house. Uh, he taught me all about that. Yeah, the, that framing that. allows you to build a better, more stable door platform. It's just yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So and it, uh, across our, our company, we have really amazing, experienced uh, staff who are able to, um, I think, identify with those challenges that our customers have and be able to bring these kind of practical, real solutions to their issues. Uh, so tell us a bit about uh, your planning process, uh, your uh, goal setting and accountability, management, philosophies. Kind of touch on that a little bit. Sure. That's an exceptionally good question because I think that's been a big part of what's made this work for me. Every year I sit down at the beginning of the year and I write a business plan. Even though I just did one 
my previous business plan's probably valid, whatever. I'm still going to force myself to sit down and write a business plan every year. I'm going to sit down, I also sit down and write a marketing plan every year. And the two kind of go hand in hand for understanding what I'm forcing, really what I'm forcing myself to do. I need that accountability. I share this with others in the company as well as a trusted group of advisors so that they can help me stay accountable to these goals. And with that, the fact they're trusted means they often give me feedback that maybe I want to hear, maybe I don't want to hear, but I'm, I, I brought them into this circle for a reason in that I really want people to help me hold myself accountable to these goals that I have. It's worked really well. Most years we're able to hit our, well, pretty much every year except for one, we've hit our goals because we've had that level of accountability. And in the year we didn't, I'd have to say it's because the market changed pretty dramatically and we had to make some big adjustments. What I think happens though is I realized I'm not the boss, I still have a boss and it's this other version of Greg who's holding me accountable. And I don't always like that guy a lot because he's often telling me I need to work a little harder or get something done over a weekend or whatever. But I'm really glad that I have, I have that built-in management that comes with that responsibility. So what would you say, uh, Greg, is holding you back right now? Great question. It's really interesting because I'd say the market's changed and it always will. We traditionally get a number of customers that are in the startup world who need our sort of systems and software. And what I've seen is with the interest rate hikes, the cost of money going up, and you being a former banker in this, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, it's more of a challenge for that sort of customer to find the funding or, the, or prioritize capital investments. They know they need to do it. it it's just a little bit more difficult now. So that market shift has challenged us to work with a different sort of customer mix. And I don't think it's bad. I think it's just different, but good. We've got a lot of different kinds of people, potential, I think, team members for yourself, potential customers, vendors, uh, all sorts of folks listening, fellow business owners. How can they get a hold of you, Greg? Sure. They can contact me at opensourceintegrators.com. My email address is gmader at opensourceintegrators.com. And our toll-free number is 855-877-2377. And happy to take a call, email. Uh, however, we're happy to help. We're, we're always looking for other people that uh, could use our help, and we're happy to jump in and do what we can. Excellent. Thanks. So I've asked you quite a few questions, but there's probably one that you thought, gee, Bill should ask me such and such a question. So <laughs> what is that question, and what's the answer? I'd like you to pose one and answer one that will be great, greatly valuable to our listening audience. Sure. We didn't talk about the big one here. So the question is, Hey, Greg, what, what are you talking about with this idea of business change projects instead of IT projects? So let's talk about that for a second. The problem with IT projects is they're stupid and don't actually solve your problem. 
software vendors are great at saying, if you just buy this software, it's going to solve all your problems. It's a little bit like Napoleon Dynamite's advice to his buddy Pedro that just tell them, like, if you vote for me, all your wildest dreams are going to come true. That's not actually what software is able to do, unfortunately. I wish it was. It would make my life a lot easier, too. Um, what you really need is you need somebody to help you define what the problem is that you're really trying to solve and then institute a deliberate business change pro uh, institute a deliberate change process to help solve that problem so rather than just throw money and energy at this challenge in growth or this challenge in inventory or this challenge in customer relationships or customer marketing automation what you really need to do is ask yourself okay what's the problem i'm trying to solve do i is my problem one related to throughput or waste or other sorts of things that we can define a little bit more clearly? And then we can help build the software solutions that are actually going to solve that problem correctly for you. Go ahead. Sorry, Bill. Oh, I was going to say, listening to you answer that, pose that question and answer, it reminds me of an old client of mine that sold Ferraris and Maseratis and so well, it was expensive cars. And one day I asked him, I said, how many people that buy one of those cars can actually drive it properly? And he said, about one in 50. And as you're going <laughs> through what you just said, I'm thinking of all the very well branded enterprise level software if you will, that's out there, that people, companies, when you say people, companies buy and are absolutely totally unable to use it until somebody like you can come around and show them how to navigate with that fancy vehicle they end up with. Uh, thank you, Bill. I, I owe you a cup of coffee or a root beer next time we meet in person, I think. You're you, welcome. You got it. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. I appreciate it very much. Now, everybody, in closing, let's focus on the single fact that our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy, second, installing and using a management system to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, I've assembled those three things for you so you can get your hands on how to do those three. Just go to getbillsgift.com, and you'll have exactly what you need. So thanks for listening. Greg, thanks for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much, Bill. This is a lot of fun.